Hello, everybody, and welcome to another edition of Charts with Dan. We have a lot to go over today. The weekend box office, looking ahead to what's coming up next weekend, and as we build up to the release of Spider-Man No Way Home, the biggest release of the year in a lot of different ways, but I don't want to get too far ahead of myself. We have kind of a quiet post-Thanksgiving weekend to look at first. Before we get going, though, I want to say an extra thanks to our new presenting sponsor, Carbon Health. We're going to be partners for the next few months here on Charts with Dan. And I'm very excited about this because this is a company that has a very simple mission, and that is to make quality healthcare available and affordable to everyone. They really do have a great aim that they're going for. If you want to learn more about Carbon Health, you can check out more details in the description below. Let's get started, as always, by looking at the weekend box office here domestically. And it was, as I said, a bit of a quiet post-Thanksgiving weekend. Not a whole lot of changes here in the top five. We have Encanto repeating in its second week at number one with just over $13.1 million. That was about a 50% drop off, which isn't too bad in a general sense. However, we are more accustomed to seeing oftentimes family films holding a little bit better in that second weekend. This is more of a standard drop. So the question becomes, is it just because kids are going back to school? Perhaps people are waiting until the holiday season to go and see this movie or go to the movies in general. Perhaps some people were a little scared off by the news that there may be a new variant uh, on the rise here and, and around the world. Uh, you never quite know. We're going to look at how Encanto does over these next few weeks. This is a movie that should play well over the holiday season. It has good reviews, good word of mouth. I think as award nominations start coming out, you're going to see Encanto's name as well. But not the quickest start out of the gate for this film, particularly for a family film from Disney in the holiday bracket. So we are going to keep an eye on that and see how Encanto does. At number two is Ghostbusters Afterlife. It's sticking around pretty well. $10.3 million. It has cracked the $100 million barrier. So it has a life beyond just its opening weekend. House of Gucci in its second week is at number three with $7 million. A good hold for House of Gucci. This is one of those titles that is going to drive more adults, obviously, uh, more than Encanto for sure. Uh, so you're going to see a little bit longer of a time period and a little bit longer of a lag on this one. We'll see how it does throughout the holidays. And again, with the award shows, etc., if you start seeing nominations from Lady Gaga for the movie itself, we could see a boost in that box office for that film. At number four is one that may not be familiar with everybody. It's a movie called Christmas with the Chosen, The Messengers. This is the largest event, the largest launch in the history of Fathom Events, which specializes in specialty box office events. Usually they are one or two nights. This was something that was launched back last week before the weekend box office window began, and they have actually extended this run all throughout this week. And one of the reasons that you don't usually see Fathom Events on the weekend box office charts is because they often do their events during the week so that they don't have to compete with the big movies during the weekend. This was a launch for this film with Fathom, so a bit of a different model than they're used to, and it's tapping into a television streaming series called The Chosen, which is purportedly the most successful crowd-funded piece of entertainment of all time. Between the two seasons of the show so far, they've raised over $15 million in crowd funds. Those people are then given a share, a kind of an equity stake in the series itself, and this is a movie spinoff of that TV show. The show is about the life of Jesus through the eyes of those who knew him. This movie specifically is about the birth of Jesus through the eyes of Mary and Joseph. 
As I mentioned, this is going to play into this week, so we'll see how it does with the weekly grosses. But a big success for Fathom Events there, their largest event cracking into the box office top five. And then staying in the top five for a fifth week, Marvel's Eternals with just over $4 million. Looking at the top per theater average, it's pretty similar to what we were talking about last week, and it just goes to show you that audiences will turn out in droves for the right film because... Licorice Pizza is still the top per theater grocer of the weekend. This is its second weekend. It was still at four theaters, and it brought in over $60,000 per theater, which is a huge number, uh, especially compared to the numbers that we've been seeing recently. As a matter of fact, it is the second highest per theater average of 2021, uh, second only to the first week of Licorice Pizza last week, which made $86,000. So you see uh, only a drop-off of less than a third uh, between week one and week two. This is the newest Paul Thomas Anderson film. As awards season gets close and as people are, are getting the buzz about this film as it grows, obviously still drawing a lot of crowds. It is going to expand uh, in the next uh, few weeks as we get into the holiday season. But look at that, $86,000 in four theaters the first week, $60,000 in four theaters the second week. That's 60,000, the second best per theater average of 2021. That bumps Come On, Come On to number three. That bumps The French Dispatch to number four. And that bumps Venom, Let There Be Carnage to number five. This chart is going to change as well because there are going to be other movies that open in a smaller number of theaters as we get closer to awards season. And I anticipate that Spider-Man No Way Home will likely break not only into this top five, but top two, three, or more of these numbers as we're looking at the top five. So this top per theater uh, chart has been changed changing really almost on a weekly basis for the last several weeks. I anticipate those changes to continue as we get into the holiday season and the awards season. Let's look at movies that were playing in 1,000 theaters or fewer, like Licorice Pizza, and it is there on the chart at number three. It made $241,000 this weekend, but the number one movie in limited release in 840 theaters is Sword Art Online, Progressive Aria of a Starless Night. This is the second film uh, in the series of films uh, out of Japan based on a series of novels called Sword Art Online. This particular film is an adaptation of the progressive arc. There's already a sequel in the works and scheduled to come out to this movie uh, next year. There's also a live action series in the works from Netflix on the way. And this is in addition to previous adaptations of Sword Art Online, which includes uh, multiple manga series uh, and anime series. So another example of art and culture from Japan continuing to grow globally. The number one movie in limited release here in the domestic market. At number two was Come On, Come On with 400 $162,000 as it continues to expand. It's now in over 500 theaters. Licorice Pizza at number three. True to the Game is in number four. This is the third film in a trilogy produced through the Imani Media Group. Uh, 700 theaters, just over $200,000. And in fifth place is Benedetta in 201 theaters. This is the latest film from Paul Verhoeven, the director of Robocop and the original Total Recall, Showgirls, lots of different kinds of films. This is a movie about two nuns who have a secret affair at a convent in 17th century Italy. This movie was actually shot over three years ago, but delays in post-production and then the COVID-19 pandemic postponed its release. It debuted at the Cannes Film Festival earlier this year, and it is now making its limited run debut here in the domestic market. Looking around the world, these were the top five films internationally, so in all of the markets except the United States and Canada. 
At number one is Schemes and Antiques, which is a film out of China, just over $25 million. It is about the intrigue surrounding a family artifact. Encanto is number two with $20.7 million, followed by House of Gucci with $14.7 million. The Chinese film Be Somebody at number four with $13.3 million, and Ghostbusters Afterlife in fifth place with just over $13 million as it continues to roll out, uh, entering its last big markets worldwide. Now, when we combine the international market and the domestic market, we get the top five films worldwide. And on the worldwide chart, Encanto also repeats at number one. It held very well worldwide. It dropped, I think, about 30% uh, as it continues to expand and hold over pretty well in the markets that it opened in. So the worldwide play on Encanto is something to watch, and we're going to talk a little bit about that more in just a minute. Schemes and Antiques takes the number two spot. Ghostbusters Afterlife is at number three. House of Gucci is at number four. And Be Somebody is at number five. So really just a reshuffling of the movies that we already had there uh, in the top five internationally uh, because they were driven uh, in large part by some of the numbers domestically. As we've been doing for the past several months, uh, let's look at the weekend box office this weekend in comparison to the box office in the years 2019 and 2020. A continuation of what we've been seeing, which is that the overall pattern has fit what happened in 2019. It's just that we are not able to hit the same highs because we had a big dip overall box office down to about $50 million, uh, which is about $50 million shy of what the comparable weekend was back in 2019. So you see that we do have this, this pattern of Thanksgiving weekend being a spike and then a big dip the week after Thanksgiving. So the dip that we had this weekend is not really that unusual. It's just that we are not able to get people into theaters at the same uh, volume that we were back in 2019. We should see that tick up. We'll see how West Side Story does this weekend. And then, of course, Spider-Man No Way Home, the box office looking hopefully to close out with a big week, uh, last two weeks of the year. Uh, it'll be very interesting to see what that graph looks like when we put Spider-Man No Way Home on there. But another big drop this week and yet another week where we can say that uh, the box office has not been able to recover uh, even close to what we were looking at at a comparable weekend before the pandemic in late 2019. And actually, as we get to the beginning of December, I thought it would be interesting to look at the November releases because I was a little surprised. I thought some of them might hit a little bigger, and some people have had some questions about the movies that are out now. Are they hits? Are they not? What is the metric for determining that? So let's look at the major releases, and for this uh, purposes here, I'm looking at movies that played at some point in 1,000 theaters or more. The only movie that's not on this chart is Belfast because I was not able able to find the budget information for Belfast. But let's look at the other films that played in wide release domestically uh, in the month of November and try to suss out what happened this month because there are a lot of different th things to look at. Uh, first, let's start there on the left. You see Eternals. The number in blue is the budget, which was around $200 million for Eternals. The number in orange is the domestic gross, which is just over $150 million. And then the number in gray is the worldwide gross, which as you can see for Eternals is approaching $400 million. And when you look at worldwide gross versus overall budget, uh, Eternals has the best ratio because it is nearly double uh, its initial budget worldwide. Of course, it is also by far uh, the highest budget on this chart. And so uh, doubling the budget does a little bit less because it's also a big release. You have marketing costs, etc. But when you look at the worldwide gross, uh, that's really where you're seeing uh, the saving grace for Eternals because as you can see domestically, uh, it has not been able to even recoup just the basic budget numbers uh, through domestic release. So worldwide markets 
really uh, what are driving uh, Eternals. And I think ultimately, if it does turn a profit in the theatrical window, which granted, uh, given the fact that the pandemic is still ongoing, is not a, a slam dunk for any movie. But if it is able to turn that profit, it's going to be thanks to the international audiences. Uh, next to Returnals, we have a much smaller film, Spencer. That movie had a budget, I believe, around $18 million, and it has not currently surpassed that number. It's made about $6.7 million domestically, about $13 million worldwide. The thing to look at for Spencer is that it opens in much of Europe in 2022. It's also uh, in line probably for an Oscar bump. Kristen Stewart very, very, very heavily favored to get at least an Academy Award nomination for her portrayal of Princess Diana in this film. So if that happens, I think you're going to see a re-expansion of that film and probably a higher gross. Clifford the Big Red Dog is an interesting case. You see here it had a budget around $64 million. It's made domestically about $45.7 million and worldwide about $51 million. So it's approaching that point where at least its worldwide gross is going to surpass its budget. It must also be noted, however, that it is available on streaming domestically. So there was probably some impact to the box office there, although not a bad gross at $45 million. And then uh, worldwide, it also has dates outstanding in the UK, South Korea, Korea, Australia, and more throughout December. So a lot to be written still worldwide for Clifford the Big Red Dog. Ghostbusters Afterlife is the next one. And actually, if you look at this list, it is the only major release, uh, other than, as I mentioned, Belfast, which is not on this chart, that has had its budget surpassed by its domestic box office gross. Ghostbusters Afterlife, for a movie its size, had a relatively, I don't say small, but a relatively reasonable budget of about $75 million dollars. Its domestic gross is over $100 million. Worldwide, it's at $145 million, although its biggest remaining market is Australia uh, in January. So it's gone through most of its major worldwide markets. But we see here, unlike uh, Eternals, which is driven largely by the international market, Ghostbusters Afterlife being driven largely by the domestic market. And the budgeting on this movie, I think, is really what is going to lead it to, if it's going to, again, turn a profit in the theatrical window, which it may not, but it should come somewhat close. Uh, that budget of $75 million, if you were to go up to $150 million, uh, like the 2016 version did, then it would be a different story. But it looks like keeping the budget low on that film, even though they had no way of knowing what was down the road, could help it turn a profit and perhaps uh, deliver another film in this particular iteration of the franchise down the road. So that's an interesting thing. Of all the wide releases, Ghostbusters Afterlife, the one that has had uh, its budget made back on paper, uh, although, of course, you have marketing costs, etc., but just by raw numbers, uh, by its domestic gross. Next to Ghostbusters, we have King Richard. It had a $50 million budget. It has had uh, not a great gross here domestically, uh, a gross of only about $13 million, $21 million worldwide. Keep in mind, it is also available on streaming, HBO Max. We've seen that that could potentially have some box office impact. It also opens in Australia and several European countries in 2022, so there's some worldwide market uh, still to be written there. And it's another movie that is in line potentially for an Oscar bump uh, due to uh, perhaps the movie itself, more likely or perhaps most likely due to Will Smith's performance, which is getting a lot of buzz for Best Actor. Then we have Encanto next to it. You can see a budget of around $135 million for Encanto. It's currently made almost $58 million domestically. Uh, and again, it's a pretty even balance right now between the domestic market 
market and the worldwide market. Uh, but a lot of work still to do uh, has not yet surpassed that budget. And you really need to go two or three times over that budget worldwide to safely turn a profit in the theatrical market, which is, again, still being affected by this global pandemic. And it had a pretty saturated opening. As a matter of fact, it's open in pretty much all of its major markets as of now. So we don't really have any markets that we're waiting on for Encanto. So this is a case where we really just have to look at the markets where it already is. Does it have that longevity? Is it going to keep those legs as we write the box office story on that? House of Gucci is next, a $75 million budget, a $33.6 million domestic gross, $67 million worldwide gross. It opens in Italy next week. I would imagine it's going to meet some interest and perhaps a little bit of derision especially for Jared Leto, uh, when it opens there. It also has Australia and Japan in early 2022. And again, that's a movie that could potentially be in line for a possible Oscar bump for the performances in the film. So we could see a re-expansion of that later. And then we have Resident Evil, Welcome to Raccoon City. $25 million budget. It's made about $25 million worldwide. Its largest remaining market is Australia. I don't think anyone really expected that to be a huge moneymaker, but it's also why you keep the budget low on a movie like that. That $25 million, once you get through all of the residuals and uh, all of the the ancillary markets, etc. I think you could see a profit on that Resident Evil film uh, because you just don't have as much of a mountain to climb. So overall, looking at the November box office, I think that what it showed us was a couple of things. Um, we had a couple movies that showed that, uh, you know, there are big movies that people are willing to go see. Domestically, I think that's Ghostbusters Afterlife. Uh, worldwide, I think that's Eternals. But we didn't really have one of those breakout hits that says, uh, that uh, you can rely on the box office again to consistently deliver the kind of grosses for these big films. I think we still see some reticence, perhaps some change in consumer behavior that's either uh, they're slow to break out of or that perhaps has become permanent uh, because there wasn't a breakaway film that everyone could point to and say, see, that shows you that we can get back to some form of normality. I think that Spider-Man No Way Home is going to be one of those hits, but if I were an executive looking at the performances in November, I would say, okay, well, there's some encouraging news here, but the overall takeaway being we're not out of this thing yet, and we need to do some real research into audience behavior and where we need to put our money, where do we need to put our releases, what do we have to look at for streaming, etc. We are looking at a changed landscape, and uh, you know, if things remain positive with the virus, if we're able to, to keep it at bay as as we have been doing to varying degrees of success for the last few months. I think that's going to be the next big thing, and it's going to take a year or two for the market to adjust. But looking at November, which I think would have to be maybe the most quote-unquote normal month at the box office that we've had, uh, those are the takeaways. Uh, some encouraging signs, but no breakaway hits. Let's see what happens in December with The Matrix and with Spider-Man No Way Home and a lot of the other films. Before we move on to the 2021 box office, both domestically and worldwide, I'd also like to thank another one of our sponsors, Raycon. You know, believe it or not, we are less than three weeks away from Christmas, and if you're like me, you're doing what you do every year, which is wait way too long to start shopping for everyone on your Christmas list. And I'm sure you've seen a thousand different gift guides for everybody in your life. Your mom, your brother's dog, that weird aunt that only shows up every other Thanksgiving. Now, you could do what so many other people do, which is run to a million different places or wait for packages to come from a million different places to cross those names off your shopping list. Or you can buy everyone on your list the one gift you know that they'll love and that they'll use every day. 
Raycon wireless earbuds. I've been using Raycon earbuds on the air for a few weeks now, and I've gotta tell you, I've been loving them. They're snug, they fit right into my ear, the sound quality is great. I now have a much better option and something that really works for me both on and off the air. Raycon wireless earbuds give you amazing audio quality wherever you go, whether you use them to pump up, wind down, to work, or to work out. They will be useful for anyone on your list, and even better for you, they start at half the price of other premium audio brands. With their latest model, you get three new sound profiles to make sure everything you're listening to sounds its best with just the right amount of bass, pure mode for podcast listening and instrumentals, balance mode for rock and heavy metal, bass mode for hip-hop, EDM, and reggae, and Raycons are available in five stylish colors, so you can pick a perfect one for everybody on your list. And with free shipping and returns, gifting is easier than ever. The holidays are coming up faster than you think, and now is the time to knock that gift list out and avoid the last-minute shopping scramble, especially because right now, my viewers and listeners are going to get 15% off site-wide with the code HOLIDAY at buyraycon.com slash Merle. That's right. Go to buyraycon, that's B-U-I-R-A-Y-C-O-N dot com slash Merle, M-U-R-R-E-L-L, and use the code HOLIDAY today to get 15% off your entire Raycon order. That's buyraycon.com slash Merle, and I want to thank Raycon for sponsoring today's show. Let's look now at the 2021 box office domestically, and no changes on the chart this week that may change last week. Shang-Chi and the Legend of the Ten Rings remains on top, followed by Venom, Let There Be Carnage, then Black Widow, F9, A Quiet Place Part 2, No Time to Die, Eternals, Free Guy, Jungle Cruise, and Dune, although Ghostbusters Afterlife remains just behind Dune. It could well be that Ghostbusters Afterlife passes Dune, although Dune is also re-expanding into some theaters coming up, so Dune could either hold onto that spot or take it back. So no change domestically for this week. There's a little bit of a change at the worldwide box office. Not at the top, though. The battle at Lake Shangjin remains very close to the $900 million mark at $899 million, followed by High Mom. No Time to Die remains at number three, followed by F9 and Detective Chinatown 3. Venom Let There Be Carnage stays at number six, followed by Godzilla vs. Kong and Shang-Chi and the Legend of the Ten Rings. However, one MCU film has knocked out another one. Eternals enters the worldwide box office top 10 for 2021 at number nine with just over $384 million. That knocks Black Widow off the charts. Dune stays at number 10 with $382 million globally. Before we look at the streaming charts, as always, I'm going to take a look back at a weekend in box office history, and we are going back to the weekend of December 7th through the 9th, 1984, which saw the debut of Beverly Hills Cop. This movie helped launch Eddie Murphy's movie career along with 48 Hours, and it was phenomenally successful, the top movie of 1984. And it just goes to show you that it wasn't all about the first weekend. First weekend in December, $15.2 million. It would stick around for weeks and weeks, racking up grosses. Two other movies opening up that same week. 2010, The Year We Make Contact, which was the sequel to 2001 A Space Odyssey, was at number two with $7.3 million. And the Burt Reynolds Clint Eastwood vehicle City Heat was in third place with $6.3 million. In fourth place, in its seventh week, The Terminator was still terminating box office competitors with $1.4 million. And right next to Arnie, another 80s action giant, Chuck Norris in Missing in Action in its fourth week was in fifth place. Let's close out the show as we always do by looking at the streaming charts and we'll see what people are buying and renting over on Amazon 
At number one is Venom, Let There Be Carnage, which is available for purchase, followed by The Grinch at number two, the Benedict Cumberbatch animated version, followed by Free Guy at number three. Dune is now entering the charts with availability for premium video on demand and purchase. It's on the Amazon chart at number four, followed by No Time to Die, available PVOD at number five, Dangerous at number six, Belfast, which we were just talking about, an Oscar contender, now available for premium video on demand in seventh place, Spider-Man Far From Home, People renting it, I think, in anticipation of Spider-Man No Way Home to make sure they're caught up with the saga. It enters the chart at number 8, followed by F9 at number 9. And another new addition, Shang-Chi and the Legend of the Ten Rings enters the Amazon chart at number 10. Let's see what people are watching over on iTunes. And at number 1 is a Ridley Scott movie, but not House of Gucci. The Last Duel, available for purchase, is the number 1 movie on iTunes. Followed by Venom, Let There Be Carnage, and Dune at number three. No Time to Die is at number four. Followed by Ron Howard's How the Grinch Stole Christmas, and then Benedict Cumberbatch the Grinch. So the Grinch still hanging on to two spots over on iTunes. Free Guys at number seven. Spencer available at number eight. Shang-Chi and the Legend of the Ten Rings available for purchase and rental on iTunes is at number nine. And then at number 10, uh, which is right now only available for purchase, but a lot of people checking out Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer, the old Rankin and Bass stop-motion classic. So a lot of people getting into the holiday spirits with old Rudolph. Before we go, let's wrap up the show as we always do by looking at what people are watching on Netflix. And as we talked about last week, I've switched my metric. We are now looking at the release data from Netflix globally for the week of November 22nd through the 28th. This is measured by hours watched. And let's start by looking at the 10 most watched programs on Netflix globally. At number one is The Queen of Flow season two. It jumps up two spots from last week and is now the most watched program on Netflix overall. Hellbound season one is at number two. Red Notice surrenders its number one spot. It's now down to number three. True Story, the original Netflix limited series starring Kevin Hart and Wesley Snipes is at number four. Halle Berry's directorial effort Bruised is at number five with 47 million hours watched. The original series Cowboy Bebop, which was not one of the 10 most watched programs on Netflix last week, is in its second week of eligibility. It's there at number six with 36.9 million hours watched. That's an uptick in watch time from last week, so it seems like perhaps word is spreading on that show. Selling Sunset Season 4, a Netflix original reality series about high-end Los Angeles real estate, is at number seven with 33 million hours watched. Arcane Season 1 drops four spots to number eight, followed by the Netflix original movie A Boy Called Christmas from Monster House director Gil Keenan. He also co-wrote Ghostbusters Afterlife. That makes its debut on the chart at number nine. Squid Game Season 1 spending its 11th week on this chart. It drops down five spots, so it looks like next week it may fall off and not be one of the 10 most watched programs globally on Netflix. Uh, but to spend three months on this chart, a series out of South Korea that's not based on a pre existing uh, intellectual property is pretty impressive. So uh, tip of the cap to Squid Game, uh, one of the biggest breakout hits of 2021 in any medium. Looking at the 10 most watched movies on Netflix for the week of the 22nd to the 28th, Red Notice stays at number one, although Bruised uh, made a real play, uh, 47.7 million hours watched versus Red Notice's 50.6 million hours watched. A Boy Called Christmas is at number three. A Castle for Christmas is at number four, featuring Carrie Elwes doing a delightful Scottish accent, along with Brooke Shields. 
The Princess Switch 3 is at number five. The Croods is at number six, even though it's not streaming in North America on Netflix. Spoiled Brats, which is an original series from France, is at number seven. Looking at the metrics that Netflix provides, it is particularly popular in Central and South America. Jack Reacher, Never Go Back, a movie that's also not streaming on Netflix in North America, is at number eight. The Netflix original animated film Extinct is at number nine, and Central Intelligence is at number 10. And finally, looking at the 10 most watched series on Netflix, for the week of November 22nd through 28th. At number one, The Queen of Flow, season two. At number two, Hellbound, season one. True Story is at number three. Cowboy Bebop, season one, is at number four. Selling Sunset, season four, at number five. Arcane, season number one, at six. Squid Game, season one, at seven. The original series made in its ninth week is at number eight. Narcos Mexico season three is at number nine. And You season three rounds out the top 10 in its seventh week of release. And that wraps it up for today's Charts with Dan. The big movie we're looking at at the box office this upcoming week is Steven Spielberg's West Side Story. It's a movie that I loved very much. One of my favorite movies of the year. Reviews have been pretty positive. Will audiences show up for a musical though? We saw some not so great results with In the Heights earlier this summer. Will the brand name of West Side Story, will the reviews, will Steven Spielberg's name bring people out to the theater or are they just at home waiting for their friendly neighborhood Spider-Man? We will break all of that down next week as well as a preview of Spider-Man No Way Home and just how big it might be. Thank you so much for watching. If you want to see even more of what I'm up to, you can check me out on Patreon at patreon.com slash danmerle. Also, don't forget that you can get audio versions of all of my YouTube programming on whatever audio platform you desire, Stitcher, Spotify, Audible. All those links are down in the description below. And I'd like to thank once again my partner and sponsor, Carbon Health, for presenting today's show. Uh, once again, if you want to find out more about Carbon Health and their great mission for making healthcare affordable and accessible, check out the link in the description below. Thanks so much. Thanks for watching. And until next time, stay safe. Bye.